Good morning. I want to welcome you all to Hamer Creek Baptist Church this morning. And, um, well, let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We give you thanks uh, for such a beautiful day. Uh, Lord, we thank you that, uh, for the changing of the seasons. Lord, for the flowers that have begun to bloom and the, the feel of springtime in the air. And, uh, God, the promise of new life that reminds us that we, too, will be resurrected like our Lord and Savior. Uh, God, we do ask your blessings upon this service today. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would touch every heart. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, continue to teach us that the Holy Spirit would be our instructor and all that is said and done would glorify you and make much of Christ Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Um, just a, a couple quick announcements. I had almost resolved not to go through these this morning, um, but I have to mention a few because they're on here for the first time. Our men's breakfast that we normally have the first Saturday, we're going to have this Saturday, and this is in your bulletin, and we're going to have it here in town again. We'll move the next one, um, but we'll have it at 8 a.m. at Burger Shack, and we will send out a reminder on the calling tree for that. And my wife told me, I said something about the tables of eight sign up, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm a little disappointed. Um, now look, a lot of you have signed up. I would like to see everybody sign up. And my wife said, well, you've probably got people scared. You haven't advertised. Well. They don't know what they're signing up for. So let me just tell you what it is. But you can't unsign up if it scares you, okay? <laughs> the, the reason I didn't tell you was I didn't want anybody to unsign up. But you will be randomly seated. Names drawn out of a hat. So, in fact, I may go so far as if I draw names out of a hat, if your sister, for example, gets your table, I may trump that and say, no, can't do that. But the idea is to seat you with people. If you sit up here, maybe people that are back here. Our church has uh, made some inroads on getting to know each other, especially in a post-COVID society. But we are going to have questions that are like on little cards that go around the table. And they're not going to be like, it's not going to be a doctrinal exam. We're not going to put anybody on the spot. It's going to be questions like, how old are you? Where did you grow up? If you're, if you're at, a, at a married table, uh, oh, is that too much? Not how old? Oh, man. Can't win. The, I'll get some help with the question bank, okay? Uh, but the point is, it's going to be fun. It's, it's really going to be fun. And it, some of you, now listen, some of you, you're just as bad as me. You have a sort of antisocial, I don't think that's the right word, <laughs> I think they use that word in criminology. I don't mean it in a criminal way, but you're not as social as some people. Some people are super social. They love to talk. You can sit them down with a complete stranger. Some of you are like me. You're more reserved, okay? It's for you. It's for the more reserved people. So please come. Sign up. It's going to be fun. We're going to have probably um, baked dish pastas of some type and salads. So... Everybody can eat a salad. I don't know why you would if you've got pasta, but um, there'll be something there that everybody can eat, and uh, the food is taken care of. So please sign up for that. Please come out. We hope that you'll do it. Um, you might get lucky and get seated at a table that has somebody with your exact hobbies and loves. And you might get seated at a table. You might be a hunter seated with a golfer, and y'all can figure it out. It'll be a lot of fun, though. Um, all right, and with that, I um, also want to mention March 23rd, the Easter Egg Hunt and Fellowship at 10 a.m. That is a Saturday, and then um, the next Sunday, March, the next Sunday, March 31st, will be Easter. 
And uh, we're looking forward to celebrating our resurrection service um, on that day. And hope that you will come out because it is a sunrise service, so it will be early. Um, my favorite service of the year, I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, and with that, let me introduce to you the Therringtons. Um, for our member moment, um, we have Daniel and Ashley Therrington, and uh, they have four, four boys. Can you imagine? Four boys. Oh, bless them. Wait till they have four teenage boys. That's what we uh, but anyway, Colt, uh, from the oldest to the youngest, Colt, Connor, Cameron, and Cohen. You see what they did there with the C thing? Now look, that gives me plenty of excuse when I can't remember who's who, just so you know, it's your fault. All right? uh, I asked Ashley, I said, is there anything you'd like me to say? And she said, no. And, uh, but I will tell you that uh, they are faithful members here. Um, they both are Sunday school teachers in different classes and, uh, of course, Daniel is a deacon of the church. And, and I want to give you an interesting fact about Daniel. Because I knew Daniel for years before I knew this. Do you know what I'm going to say? <laughs> you probably don't. <laughs> I don't know how I missed this. I'm not super observant. But Daniel has a full head of hair. Now, he's bald as an egg. But he can grow a full head of hair. And I knew him for years before that ever dawned on me. He just shaves it off. And I don't know why anybody do that, but there he is. <laughs> Just kidding, brother. <laughs> All right, my 60 seconds is up. All right, so we're going to move on, and uh, we're going to look at uh, some prayer requests before Ted does birthdays and anniversaries. And we do have a lot of prayer requests. Um, there are many needs, and um, probably multiple unspoken for, every, for everyone that we would mention. Um, but let me just say, Harris is here, had a good... Uh, um, procedure. They got it all in one fell swoop, uh, but he's been having some headaches from being stitched up. I learned something new. They stitched up two layers. I didn't know there were two layers right there, but anyway, it's been causing him some pain, and so uh, uh, pray for him in that regard. I want to ask that you, well, in fact, let me mention something. We have two previous pastors from right here at Hamer Creek that have lost loved ones, and um, in fact, there is a uh, um, What's it called? Order of service from the funeral in the back um, for Mildred Willoughby. This is Alex Willoughby's mother. Many of you know Pastor uh, Willoughby. And so be in prayer for that family. Also, um, many of you may remember uh, Jerry Phillips. How many of you do remember Jerry Phillips? So quite a few. Um, and if not, you, you probably know Josh Phillips. This is Josh Phillips' grandmother um, that passed away, and so we want to keep this family in our prayers as well. And so be remembering them during this time of loss. And um, remember those that are going through cancer treatments. There are many. I told the church on Wednesday that my grandmother was able to have a surgery and put hers behind her so far as they know. And so we praise the Lord for that. And uh, we want to continue to pray for those that are having a bit more difficult journey, things like chemo and radiation. I want to ask that you uh, continue. Does anybody have an update on Nicholas Smith? He's not. Still not? He's trying to wake up. Okay. But he hasn't. Okay, well, let's continue to pray for this young man then. It's a rough time on the family. Okay, I'm sure. Um, by the way... I meant to do this a minute ago, even though we had our member moment here. Um, we have Billy and Carolyn Terry here this morning. And uh, so we're so glad to have them back. Yeah. Um, uh oh. 
All right, well, let me do this. Um, and th there, there are so many names on here, but um, I think Danny Bruton is also, I don't know if he's had his procedure. He's also getting cut on as well. Remember, continue to pray for this country that we live in. Um, need a lot of prayer in this nation. Um, this nation is ultimately, it is run by policies, policies that are made by people. And you'll never convince me that there's not a difference between policies that are made by atheists and policies that are made by Christians. And uh, so we need to pray that God will raise up Christians that will uh, be those that develop and lead this country into the next age. Um, also, pray for the young people uh, of our nation. Uh, many of them see things that uh, you cannot imagine. They hear things at, at public school that you cannot imagine. So keep the young people in your prayers. And um, let me, before we... I meant to ask you, how is Curtis? Uh, they put a heart monitor on him for uh -huh. two weeks. We still don't know anymore. Okay. But hopefully after that, we'll know a little bit more. He goes back in six weeks. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, Albert, you got one? Yeah. Yes. He, he did pass away. Okay, let's remember the Dean Thomerson family. <coughs> Robbie? Tuesday is a very important day. We are going to have the opportunity to exercise our Christian American life. Tuesday. Does everybody know what he's talking about? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, 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 it is, it is a, a right, unless you've done something to forfeit that right, if you are an American, and indeed, we should. And, uh, you know, I always use the thing, you know, sometimes people will use the adage about Christ going with me everywhere that I go. He goes with you in the voting booth, too, Christians. Amen. All right. <laughs> All right. My, my sister-in-law, Jeanette Faulkner, um, she was taking, they took her to the hospital uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, we're early. She's having trouble. Uh, she was sick. And she's dehydration and uh, high blood sugar and some other issues, not being able to keep down food. Um, so just be in prayer for Jeanette Faulkner. Okay, let's remember Jeanette Faulkner then. Anybody else up here? Miss Robin? Uh, Carolyn's son, Ronald, husband. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and went to work. Sorry, I ain't. My, my job to fuss at anybody, but uh, some people are too tough for their own good, maybe. But I understand he's doing some better. Ronald was very sick. He had to have IV antibiotics. And um, say again? Yeah, and uh, we're thankful for that. Um, tell him to rest and heal, though. Huh? Brother Steve? That's Joe Carson's story. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. Okay, let's pray for Mr. Joe. Rupert, I have one more. Okay. Uh, my dad's first cousin, Joe Philip Faulkner, passed away suddenly. On uh, I was traveling. Uh, so Tuesday morning I got the phone call in Cleveland. But, um, that he was fine when they took him to the hospital, and I think he had a massive heart attack and passed away. So they, we, we had the funeral yesterday. But um, Joe Philip Faulkner is his name. Okay, let's remember the Faulkner family.
he live in Albemarle? He did. He was a magistrate for a real long time. And now my brother's a magistrate, so some people thought my brother had passed away. It's not my brother. Oh, but okay. <laughs> all right. Well, let's remember the Faulkner family. Um, all right. Last call. I, yep. Uh, Tony Stanberry, he, preach, he preaches at uh, the Cowboy Church on Rocky Creek. And last Sunday while he was, well, I was listening to the, I was I listened to it after this, after I go home. <coughs> and I could tell there was something wrong with it. And Shirley uh, said they rushed him, to, they took him to the hospital after service. I would have took him before he finished preaching. But, uh, but anyway, and they said his uh, potassium and uh, yeah, magnesium was really low. He, last I heard, he's better, but he's not back to normal yet. Okay, well, let's remember. I don't he preached this morning or not, I did Okay, let's remember, Tony, we've got, that makes three, three pastors with ailments on our prayer request list, or with something going on, I'll say it that way. Um, that's a, the others are Mark Medlin and Hawk Owens that have been mentioned in recent weeks. And, all right, well, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and uh, I'd ask you all to remember to pray for these. Our church has many prayer requests, and before we pray, let's see a show of hands for unspokens. And I want you to remember as you go through the week to pray for these as well. And uh, Brother Robbie, would you remember these?
right. <clears throat> They're going to have more fun than we are. <laughs> no, this is good. Um, take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, we finished up 1 John chapter 3 uh, last week. And so we are going to begin in verse 4. And as you turn there, I just want to remind you that, that John here is writing to the churches and he is writing in a context where there are false teachers. And he's going to remind us of that again today. But false teachers that have come into the church trying to lead the church away. And so he's given some tests throughout what we have studied up until this point. Um, and there are things where the believer can look at themselves and say, yes, I, I'm doing right, and therefore I am Christ, or I'm not. For example, one of those things is if you don't love the brethren, and by the way, I always give Southern Baptists an out. It doesn't mean you have to like everybody equally, but you do have to love them, okay? Um, and so there are tests such as that, the love of the brethren, if you obey the commandments of Christ, to see whether or not you are in the family of God. And today we are going to, uh, we're going to take a look at discernment. And if you are a Christian, you're called to have discernment. Now what that means is you don't get to say, oh, that's just some doctrine. We'll let the preacher worry about that. You should want to know what your Lord and Savior has to say about things pertaining to God. You should want to know what the apostles have said. And I will just remind you of what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said regarding discernment. He said that discernment is not being able to distinguish between right and wrong, but it is being able to distinguish between right and almost right. And likewise, uh, you have probably heard it said that the best place to hide a false teaching is between two truths. And so we as the church, we want to be on guard. We want to be able to recognize false teaching when we hear it. And uh, with that, as an introduction, I'm going to ask you all to stand as we read God's Word. And we're going to be reading 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And some of you need to circle that word many. It is not few, but many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this... We know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And we must start with, uh, I won't spend too much time on this, because if you've heard me preach, you've heard me say something like this many times, but it's here, and so I have to point it out. There are only two spirits in teachers. And this is the old black and white 
argument. And by the way, that is a very unpopular message in the day and age in which we live, uh, that there is black and white and right and wrong. Uh, but this is exactly the way that Jesus taught every single time. He, he always preached between two extremes. There are saved people and there are lost people. There are sheep, there are goats, there is light and there is dark, there is wheat and there are tares. And there's no middle ground. And so this idea that, oh, it's okay to be in the gray area. This is a modern conception and it is the spirit of error. And by the way, the two spirits, it's a spirit of error or it is a spirit of truth. Now, the spirit of truth, this says here, is identified as the spirit of God. That is the one that we must cling to. It is the one that we must love. And we're going to have some practical tips on how to do that. But the spirit of error, can I just tell you that it is every other option. All the rest of them. Now, what that sounds a little bit like to the non-believer is, we're right and everybody else is wrong. And people don't like that kind of message. But I would suggest to you that this is the right way of saying that. God is right, and we must agree with God. Amen. It is that simple. There are things that can make you uncomfortable in the Scriptures, but certainly you can still agree with God. Now let me make a few things clear here before I move on. There are not multiple truths. In other words, you can't have multiple truths that contradict each other. I'm not talking about preferences. I'm not talking about... Uh, what you, what you like. Uh, for example, some people are dog people and some people are cat people, okay? Now, I can say dogs are better than cats and I can know that I'm right. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. There are some things uh, that, that, that are preferences, but when it comes to truth, let me say it this way. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. I used to work with a guy and he had this thing that he said it all the time. And it kind of drove me crazy because in a way it's like not saying anything. But some of y'all do this. You ready? It is what it is. Well, that's what the truth is. The truth is what really is. And so we should cling to the truth. And I just want to tell you there are some things that we cannot know based on our own good senses. We cannot know being mortals, being born of mortals, unless they have been spoken to us by an almighty and everlasting that is outside of time and space and matter. And guess what? He has. And we have it in the deposit of God's holy word, Genesis to Revelation. And so we must cling to the truths, not accepting other versions of the truth. And by the way, have y'all noticed that we live in a day and age where uh, unless you're my son, I tease my kids sometimes. I'm a bad tease. In fact, the other day I bought donuts and I didn't want them getting in the donuts. So on the box I wrote, poison, do not open. And, that, and in case that didn't work, down at the bottom I wrote, venomous snakes inside. And you know what Joe Hannon said to me? He said, Daddy, you're a liar. You lied to us. But you know, adults don't say that. They don't. Do you know what, what we hear Washington politicians say? They talk about a false narrative. They take this word lie, which is, by the way, a condemning word, a crippling word, something that can malign your reputation, and they soften it and say they projected a false narrative. They told a lie is what they did. And everything that is not the truth is a lie. Now, the number one strategy 
of those that are in error and those that teach error is to teach that it's not black and white, that it's not about truth and error. And so these are the people that talk about the gray. And I, I couldn't help but include this from a, uh, a modern poem. In fact, I told my wife, I read this to her. I said, what do you think about that? And she said, what hell-bound heathen wrote that? And I said, I don't remember her name. I said, she's a modern poet. And I said, but there's only one line in here that rhymes. And my wife said, that's not the chiefest of her concern. <laughs> Listen to what this poem says. Most things, by the way, this is wrong. What I'm reading to you is heresy. Do not believe this, okay? Most things in the world aren't black, aren't white, aren't wrong, aren't right. Now, they showed you their cards right there. But most of everything is just different. And now I know that there's nothing wrong with different. And we can let things be different. We don't have to try and make them black or white. We can just let them be gray. There it is. And when I was a child, I thought that God was the God who only saw black and white. Now that I am no longer a child, I can see that God is the God who can see the black and the white and the gray too. And he dances in the gray. Gray is okay. Now, if, if, you, if, you, if you had problems interpreting that, gray is okay means there is no wrong or right. And so if you're doing something that, is, that the Christians, that the Bible says is wrong, then you're okay. You can just keep doing that. Now look, this shows the human ability to rationalize sin. People love their sin. They run to the darkness, and in doing so, they run from the light of Jesus Christ. They run from the truth. The Bible says there is only error and only truth. If you're not in truth, you're in error. And so we must accept this first fundamental truth before we go further. Now, I will tell you that sometimes standing in truth, standing on the truth... It can be a small crowd sometimes, but it's where the best company is. And I believe that that's what we have in a New Testament church. Now, secondly, I want to tell you that you can discern the spirit that lies behind the teacher by their confession of Christ. It says here in this passage, it says in verse 2, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God so that's the first. And then everyone that does not, by the way, is not from God. It says that they are of the spirit of Antichrist. They are worldly. They're of the world, and the world listens to them. But the true teacher is the one that confesses. And by the way, it says that they are of God. These are those that are born of God, having experienced the second birth, the true belief in that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now let me point out a few things here. And there's no getting around this. The true believer and the spirit behind every true teacher is one that confesses two things about Jesus Christ. Well, we can say many things, but two here fundamentally identified in this passage, and that is that he is from God. And let me just go ahead and emphasize that. He is God. The thing that makes a Christian a Christian is that we worship Jesus Christ as God, eternally begotten of the Father. But hold on. It also says that he has come in the flesh. So we must say that Jesus Christ is man, truly man. So he has taken upon himself man's nature in the flesh. And so 
The true teacher will proclaim that Jesus Christ is God and that he is man. Now, some people struggle with this, and I'll admit, if you really dig into it, there are some things that make this really hard to understand, if you really dig into it. But let me just put it this way. He had to be God. And by the way, Baptists have always affirmed that Jesus Christ was both God and man. In fact, all historic, all orthodox mainline Christians have affirmed this because man is guilty of sin against God. So man must pay the price. So Jesus had to be a man. But guess what? Man, fallen, lost his eternal life and could not pay an eternal punishment. Because he didn't have it to pay. So the only way that a man can pay is to suffer in hell forever. Unless he's also God. Eternal, perfect, sinless, holy. And this is why Jesus Christ could suffer on the cross, die, be buried, and raised from the grave, and make the payment. Because he is both incarnate, in flesh, and God. Now this is what theologians refer to as the hypostatic union. You can all write that down and look it up later if you want. Um, but I will put it to you this way. I want to read you what uh, paragraph 3 of chapter 8 says in an old Baptist confession. This comes from the Second London Confession. And it, Now notice what it says about the human nature of Jesus and the divine nature. It says, The Lord Jesus in His human nature, thus united to the divine in the person of the Son, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell, to the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of mediator and surety, which office he took upon himself, uh, excuse me, which office he took not upon himself, but was thereto called by his Father, who also put all power and judgment into his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same, that is, power and judgment. And, you know, I'm reminded of what C.H. Spurgeon said about this very doctrine in this very verse that we are reading here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. He says that if there is any question that is raised about the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ, do not listen any longer. In other words, and by the way, there are many sects that do this, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, and there are many others that have false conceptions of Christ. And Spurgeon says of them, he says, When you taste the first morsel of meat from a joint, and you find that it is tainted, there is no necessity to eat any further to see if the rest is good. And if any man questions the true divinity and real humanity of Christ, have nothing to do with him. Give no heed to what he says, for he is, as it says in this passage, not of God. What Spurgeon here is, is, is encouraging us to is that if somebody says anything that casts doubt on whether or not they believe that Jesus is truly human or truly God, don't listen anymore. You would no more take a bite of spoiled meat and then say, well, I'll take another to see if it's also bad. Spurgeon's saying it's all bad. Do not listen to them. And what this means is that if you hear a teacher, I don't care if he is the biggest TV preacher and he has Southern Baptist and five degrees next to his name, if he preaches a false gospel, 
have nothing to do with him. Turn that off and find something else to listen to. There are still plenty of good preachers and good Bible teachers in our day. You might have to look for them, but they are out there. Um, I want to read a little snippet here from the Nicene Creed that also captures this same thing. And I meant to write the date down. I meant to look this up. I think the Nicene Creed was written sometime around year 325. I'm close. I'm within 100 years. You can look it up if you want. But this is what the Christians that gathered together said. They said, And we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. That's His deity. Begotten from the Father before all ages. That's eternal. God from God. Light from light. True God from true God. Begotten not made. He is not created. Being of the same essence as the Father, through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. Listen, He became incarnate. That's truly man. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and He was made human. So he is indeed both, as this passage says. And if you want to really test the Spirit, this is the starting ground for a, a person that purports to teach the Bible. And you should be able to ask him, do you believe that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man? And if they say anything other than yes, be done with them. Now, I'm not going to suggest to you that that is the only battleground for Christianity but it is always the deity of Jesus Christ that is first attacked. Atheists and those that have all manner of other belief systems hold to some idea of Jesus. It is generally a human idea. These are the people that say he was a great teacher. He was very influential. He taught a wonderful morality, etc., etc. But if they don't say that he is God's son, begotten, not made, and that he came down from heaven and took upon himself flesh and died for the sins of all who would believe then they have a wrong idea of Jesus. They have a false view of Jesus. Now look, I'm sitting here saying, cling to good doctrine, put off false teachers. Now I'm going to take a step back. You ready? Does that mean that we should argue and fight about everything? No, it doesn't. So if uh, you're listening to a preacher and he has a different idea, in other words, he doesn't preach a a uh, pre-millennial, a uh, pre-trib rapture. Don't come to me saying so-and-so's a heretic. I don't think that makes them a heretic. I think we need to go easy. So if they have different views of eschatology, and let me go a little bit further. Some of you need to listen. And by the way, I have very passionate beliefs about all these things. And if you sit me down and you say, are your beliefs right? I have searched the scriptures to see whether these things are so, and I believe with all my heart that I'm right. But it does not mean that somebody that believes different is not a Christian, and it does not mean that these are things to fight about. And here's a couple more. Predestination versus freedom of the will. That is so complicated. Most people aren't even prepared to have a conversation about it. But I will tell you this. You have some freedom of the will, and predestination is true. Sorry, those are in the Bible. Now, how you interpret those is another thing. And people fight and ch cause church splits over things. Many of the so-called traditions of church um, fall into that category. There are things that people... Uh, God does not care what date you have homecoming. 
Now, I'm not here to change it before any of y'all are waiting on me in the parking lot with rocks. I'm not trying to change it, but it's, it's not a matter of spiritual significance. Um, conflicts over, these are different if you really get into it, the perseverance of the saints versus eternal security. Now, I know most of y'all, it's the same thing. If you really get into it, it's not. I don't think these are things that the church should fight about. Have a uh, friendly conversation about? Sure, help yourself. Don't ask my wife to join in, though, if you want it to be friendly. She's got strong opinions on these as well. But nevertheless, uh, tithing even. Hymns versus modern music. Uh, oh, here's some traditions. You ready? This comes up in Baptist churches. Instruments. Now, I thought when I, I was coming up in a Baptist church that Baptists had some piano-only thing. And then I went to a church where they had bass, guitar, drums, and sometimes they had somebody play the trumpet or a flute. Do you think God has got something against trumpets or flutes? You can sing praises and songs to God with the accompaniment of any instrument. I do believe that the focus should be on Christ-exalting lyrics. I do believe that. You can write a song right now, that's about as modern as modern gets, and sing it. And if it is true and it is God-honoring and Christ-exalting, you can sing it right now. We'll let you do that. Or you can sing the oldest hymn that's in the oldest hymn book that you ever heard of. As long as it is true, God-honoring and Christ-exalting, let's not fight about these things. Or about the way that we, well, the way that Paul says it. You know, Paul writes in Romans chapter 4 about weaker Christians compared to stronger Christians. There's no other way to say it. And it says that weak Christians struggle with some things. Observing certain days or whether or not it's okay to eat meats. I believe this refers to meats that have been offered to idols. And by the way, Paul says, by the way, there's a whole bunch of you that you just had that. I would never eat a meat offered to the idol. But you know what Paul says? What's an idol? Whoop-de-doo. But he says not to be a stumbling block for other Christians. And I'm going to tell you, if you could deal with somebody when you run into a belief that's different, and you could say, they are growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that would help you go a long way in getting along with people. Because we're not all in the same place at the same time. That is impossible. And some people that seem like they don't have a theological bone in their body, some of them are going to grow up to be preachers. I know because I was one. So we need to be patient. We need to be kind. But there are some things we can't compromise on. And the divinity and the humanity of Christ is one such thing. But let us not be divisive as we, even as we stand for truth on the most important of battlegrounds. Thirdly, we see that Christians must test the spirit of teachers. And because I've taken too long, I'm going to go fast. But it says that... Uh, you must test the spirits. Now look, everybody has a spirit in them. And for the Christian, that is the very Holy Spirit of God. It is the spirit that comes from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. And so you are called to have discernment, not to be a simpleton that just believes everything. In other words, if I bring a box of donuts in, it says venomous snakes on it. It ought not work on you. It didn't even work on a four-year-old, so it shouldn't. But some people will listen to a preacher that peddles the biggest bunch of nonsense that you have ever heard, and they will believe it because it feels good. But there's a difference in what sounds good and what is truly good. By the way, let me point something out here. 
Listen to me very carefully. You're going to get this wrong. A lot of false teachers preach good things. Now you think, wait a minute. I didn't say it wrong. False teachers preach good things. You know what they teach? How to have better relationships in your marriage. And some of the advice that they give, even though it has not an ounce of biblical basis, or sometimes it does even, it's good advice. For example, if a false teacher gets up here and says, well, quit talking condescendingly to your wife. That's good advice. They have good parenting advice. They have good financial advice. These are good things. But you know what they're not? They're not God things. And there are a lot of preachers that they're leaving the excellent stuff, the eternal stuff, the stuff that really matters, God things, and they have abandoned them for good things. Because you know what God things do? They make you real small. They make you real insignificant. They show you your need. They shine a light on your sin, on your depravity, and they highlight the perfect holiness of an almighty God. They highlight the grace of Jesus Christ, and they put all the power, not in man, but in the very shed blood of Jesus. Now look, if you haven't trusted in that, that's all over your toes. That is an offensive message. But it's the right message. And we must test these spirits. They're either from God, the spirit of truth, or they are of those many false prophets that have gone out into the world. I don't know how else to say this. False teachers are dangerous. Now look, every time somebody comes and says, so-and-so is a false teacher, that doesn't mean they're always right. But you are called to be discerning, to test the spirit that drives them. That example I just gave, if they preach, big man... And a little God, in other words, God's your helper and he can come along and you drag him through life and he's your genie in a bottle. I can't stand that. But if you listen to a preacher and he preaches that man's real weak, that man's real small, that man has a great need, but that he has a great God and a great Savior, a creator, a redeemer, all power, all goodness, long-suffering, merciful, and that he so loved that he gave his son, that's the preacher you need to listen to. The one that preaches grace, the one that preaches the cross. As Paul said, Christ and Christ crucified. If a preacher can't preach about the blood of Jesus, he cannot preach. Have discernment, church. Let me give you just a few practical ways to do that. First, guard your heart. I don't care. They... Some false teachers, you know, in, in the Bible it says that they look like sheep, but inwardly are ravening wolves. If they looked like ravening wolves, you wouldn't listen to them. But the point is that they are tricky, they are deceptive, and so you must guard your heart. So the first time you listen to a preacher, now look, he might be real casual, he might be real easy to listen to, he might sing a song in the middle of his preaching, he might be good looking, he might have all these tricks he knows all the latest fads, and so he can talk about the things of the world, but you must guard your heart. You must say, I'm not going to give my mind to this teaching, to this preaching, without checking what he says. Now, how do you do that? You be a Berean. You check the scriptures to see if the things that they have said are so. Paul says that the Bereans were those that were nobler than those of Thessalonica because when Paul, can you imagine listening to the Apostle Paul preach and then going, what? I'm going to check up on that. Can I tell you something? 
a real preacher, a real pastor, somebody that really believes in this, I would like for you to check up. You take what I say right here and you measure it against this. I'm not the standard. This is the standard. God's word is the standard. So be a Berean. I also would say that um, in addition to guarding your heart and to being a Berean, the Bible says that you will know them by their fruits. So you watch. And the false teachers, sometimes they can hide their private life. Some of them, uh, they run around on their wives. Some of them, it's, it's all just a big gimmick to make bunches and bunches of money. Um, you have to have discernment. And one way you can do that is by knowing their fruits. Now look, to be a Berean, uh, to, know, to be able to measure them against Scripture, you have to know Scripture or you have to dig into it. I'd encourage you to do both. Now let me say this in closing, because this is the best part of this. You ready? Because, and I, I'm not going to lie to you about the way that John presents this. He's saying, have discernment. Be careful. These people are dangerous. And then he goes on to say this. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know what he said? You win. Because your Savior wins. Now look, he's still saying be on guard. But if you are truly trusting in Christ, if you truly believe the Scriptures then the gates of hell itself will never prevail against God's children. Never. Don't have a chance. Amen. Christ has won. Now, sometimes I might say that wrong and say, we win. Let me say it this way. Christ has won, and so the victory is already ours. Now, I'm not saying we don't have hard times in life, but we have won because Christ has won. I love that verse. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, greater than Satan. It says in other places in the scripture, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's from 1 Corinthians 15. In another place, John writes in John chapter 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Don't let it surprise you. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In Romans 8, 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And as we'll see in a couple weeks in 1 John 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If God be for us, who can be against us? The victory, it's already ours. Now, some of us need to start living like it, start acting like it, and I'm not going to tell you it means that there's no problems in life. I hope you know better than that. That's what in this world you will have tribulation means. In fact, I'm, let me close with something that was, this was preached by Jonathan Edwards way back in 1738. And uh, this is how he concluded a sermon on a totally different passage, but one about victory in Christ. And I've changed the wording a little bit to be a little bit more modernized, but this is basically a quote. He says of the Christian, he says, they are often beset with many evils, and many mighty enemies surround them on every side, wide open mouths ready to devour them. But they need not fear any of them, not a one. They may glory in Christ, the rock of their salvation, who appears so gloriously above them all. They may triumph over Satan, over this evil world, over guilt, over death. For as their Redeemer is mighty, 
and is so exalted above all evil, so shall they be exalted in him. They are now, in a sense, so exalted, for nothing can, can truly hurt them. Christ carries them as on eagles' wings, high out of the reach of all evils, so that they cannot come near them to do them any real harm. And in a little time, they shall be carried so out of their reach that they shall not even be able to bother them anymore forever. Praise God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for victory in Christ Jesus. We thank you that while we are great sinners, we have a great Savior. That while we have no power, our Lord has all power. All power in heaven and in earth. And God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit that we would remember, that we would be infused with this power of knowing who our Savior is, of trusting in Him as we go through this life, as we do encounter many trials and many tribulations. God, we pray for discernment, that you would give us wisdom, biblical wisdom, that you would give us discernment to know those that love Christ, those that make man small and that make God great among men those that call people to true worship. Lord, it is, it is truly our heart's desire that no matter what the cost, that you would make us small, that you would use us for your eternal purposes, that you would use us for kingdom work while we're here on this earth, while we, those that are of God, are living in this world until we're called out of it. Lord, we ask this all in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. I want to ask you all to stand. And Miss Betty's going to play a hymn. And uh, the more I study it out, the more sure I am. And I'm, I'm thankful for this. I could not carry the burden that if I thought I had to save somebody's soul, that I thought that was part of the preacher's job, I praise God that I cannot. I, 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 I wouldn't be able to deal with that. But my Bible says, in the words of the Apostle Paul, therefore we persuade men. And the false teachers are out there persuading men of all manner of things. Be persuaded that there is one way of salvation, and it is Jesus Christ. And if anything else is your rock, is your redeemer, then you are wrong. And if you have trusted in any other thing, this is an opportunity, as we have gathered here while Miss Betty plays, for you to come up here and tell me that today you have trusted in Christ. Psalm chapter 4. 
promise I'm not going to preach again. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. For the Christian, your feet are on the rock. You stand secure on Jesus Christ. Now, what David's saying there is every other belief system is quicksand. And don't get the idea that you are ankle deep and that Christ sort of plucked you out of it because I remember being in that quicksand and I was dead and gone. Without my nose above it that I could breathe a spiritual breath of life and he dug me up. And if you are saved and you know how sweet it is to know Jesus who drew you out of the mire. Praise God. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Brother Mitchell.